Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. James Bond is coming back to the big screen in cinemas in the UK, and we're hoping to go to every one of the 25 films. Join us as we celebrate the 60th anniversary of our favourite British agents by watching them all in order. We hope you guys are watching them too, so please let us know your thoughts. You can find us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, and our podcast is available on iTunes and Spotify, as well as video episodes on YouTube. Simply search for Really 007 Pod. Pierce Brosnan was really hitting his stride when it came to his third film, The World Is Not Enough. This time he would face his most difficult adversary ever, a woman. As the countdown begins to the 21st century, it's good to know there is still one number you can always count on. Bond. Bond. Can't you just say hello like a normal person? Renard is behind this. He will die along with everyone in the city. We do not negotiate with terrorists. His only goal is chaos. I sent 009 to kill Renard. He put a bullet in his head. That bullet's still there. He feels no pain. He can push himself harder, longer than any normal man. No hard feelings, Mr. Bond. It appears that you have been beaten. Stop! Don't make this personal. I can't do that. I just can't help thinking I'm next. New model. The very latest in interception countermeasures. And six beverage cup holders. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And the second? Always have an escape plan. For the world's greatest secret agent. You've confused hundreds of these, right? When the stakes are high. Yeah, but they're usually standing still. Life's full of small challenges. And the danger hits too close to home. He has M. By noon tomorrow, you'll feel nothing at all. I thought it was your job to protect me. It's not just professional. Someone's tampered with the bomb. 
It's personal. I have to get it back, or somebody's gonna have my butt. First things first. I'm gonna find him. Who's afraid now, Mr. Bond? I will not miss. I never miss. Do you want to put that in English for those of us who don't speak spy? Why am I suddenly worried I'm not carrying enough insurance? Your time is up. The world is not enough. Hey everyone, that guy Sai, a November man here. So there we have it, where did the time go? Only one more browser to go, then on to Craig. It's been a rather quick 19 weeks I'd say. I've been fortunate enough in this run to see Dr. No on Her Majesty's Secret Service, whether or not die, for your eyes only, the living daylight's license to kill. How brilliant it's been, hasn't it? I'm sure we all have our favourites. Had they showed one every two weeks, could have spread it over almost a year. Maybe do that for the 70th anniversary. Might have a new film by then, or is that wishful thinking? And these last three weeks, the Brosnan. Listening to everyone's thoughts lately, it's pretty universal that his films so far have been a total blast. I, for one, concur. It's no secret that I grew up with Pierce as my bond. I miss his first two due to being so young, but wanted to end this run with my first, the world is not enough. So let's start with Goldeneye. My partner was really excited for this one. 90s Pierce is hot, she said. I didn't disagree. Something interesting she noticed in the six years between License to Kill and Goldeneye is how modern Goldeneye still looks. As much as she enjoyed the Daltons, they do have an ease feel, she says. I 100% agree. The whole aesthetic from that opening shot on the dam and bungee jump to the final frame just looks fresh, even now. People must have been buzzing when Pierce was finally cast. As much as I loved Dolan as Bond, a license to kill for that matter, Brosnan was meant to be Bond all those years ago. And the people wanted Pierce. With that hiatus, to see him finally get his chance, Goldeneye was such a great introduction and a transition film for that matter. So much was on the line. Brosnan just takes it in a stride. Maybe that few years wait was meant to be, who knows. But boy, Pierce looks incredible. Teaser trailer is the best in franchise history. For the film itself, it's such a smart, fresh thriller for the modern era. Martin Campbell, with such a small budget, did so much. My favourite scene is in the archives. I love the can and mouse chase. The use of the environment. Then the Bond theme kicks in. Then the tank chase. What a set piece. And what seems like a shoestring budget compared to any Bond film that followed. What premium use of characters and cast. Sean Bean is one mean bastard and I much prefer the personal stakes in this and how it was rehashed in Skyfall. The action and the fight scenes are visceral. The final fist fight between Alec and Bond is brutal. Bugger, you feel it, don't you? On par, might even say superior to From Russia with Love. Now the music is pretty funky, isn't it? Everything from steel drums and what sounds like biscuit tin lids. It oddly fits, but ages the film. A negative yes. I'm not keen on that credits music. But all in all, the crash, bang, wallop and shot in the arm Bond needed brought to bring him back to life in the 90s. Brosnan taking box office critics and fans by storm. What came next is my personal favourite of his tenure. Tomorrow Never Dies. And what has a reputation as a troubled production and turned around and released in a matter of months never shows. The PTS, incredible. Others have mentioned the reveal of Pierce in this, and I much prefer it to Goldeneye. It looks so badass in those camo trousers and that brown leather jacket. The way the PTS cuts between the three scenarios, all happening seamlessly. From the get-go, you know this film is going to be a blast. What a ride. A really trim run time with some delicious action sequences. All of high quality and engaging throughout. My favourite, the BMW through the Molly story. 
but that bike chase is so clever with him chained together. I think the new Mission Impossible has something similar with a little wheel car. I also love the Bond Bastic finale on the stealth boat. The cold kill but amusing exchange between Bond and Kaufman is a series highlight, which directly leads on to the car chase. A lot of people shit on that BMW, but I feel some are maybe missing the point. Bond is supposed to be undercover as a banker. It's not a conventional Bond car, no, but as a plot device, it works for me at least. Also of the witty, snappy, zippy dialogue throughout used to quip effect. Carver is no match for Bond physically, but I rather enjoy the verbal jousting. Jonathan Price is a delight with his disgust, annoyance, and I'd even see jealousy towards Bond. Stamper, I really rate as a henchman. A big, bulky badass that could tear Bond a new one, perhaps. But it's a loyalty to Carver and Cliveman that drives him. Well cast and a threat to Bond. The icing on the cake is David Arnold. Oh, the music is epic throughout. Bond theme. Not shy. Dial up. I was loving it. I love the contrast of music throughout as well. When Bond and we went are out at sea, the scenery is gorgeous. And the music had this grand adventure quality too. Used again near the end of the film. Very rousing. Perhaps my only negatives. Joe Don Baker again. Just a waste really. Poor man's pepper. Also the hand-to-hand fighting scenes. The scene in the central room almost feels slowed down. The impact of the punches is that classic baseball bat into a leather jacket sound effect. And the cello and the light being swung about, it's amusing, but the sound effects. Listen to any punch in the movie and compare it to Goldeneye. No contest. But I'm nitpicking. It's the best modern classic adventure of the last 30 years. It's a 90s Moore Bond film, which is the film's greatest compliment. Brosnan just been the coolest guy for two hours. Start with top tier action, and I feel the most grounded plot of the most recent films. If you need reminding how Bond films ought to be, treat yourself and watch Tomorrow Never Dies. Hot off the heels of Tomorrow Never Dies is that the world is not enough. I loved the trailer for it when it came out. It was all millennium centred and a countdown to the year 2000. Love some nostalgia. This being my last of the cinema run, and ironically the first Bond film I've seen at the cinema. Took my niece, nephew and mum this evening. Time to show these young kids that Bond is supposed to win at the end and isn't supposed to be turned into some fertiliser like the last song. Another classy Brosnan gun barrel. God, he was good at these. A cold opening with some cold kills followed by an absolutely incredible boat chase down the Thames. An action highlight of the franchise. The shot of Bond falling on the Millennium Dome and an impact and hanging on for dear life. What an image. You know this isn't going to be an ordinary Bond film. This and Tomorrow Never Dies are the very best pre-titles for me. Followed by my favourite Brosnan theme song. One of the best I'd say of the last 30 years. Wine takes us through and unwinds. Bond her and sent to babysit an oil heiress. It's not quite what it seems. Bond's moral compass questioned. MI6 attacked. Bond injured. M has a personal stake with the villain. The locations. Sound familiar? Skyfall recycled somewhat most of these. Twine is a really mature thrower, with Brosnan's coldest take as Bond. The action is not the strongest, but everything was dialed up to living and tomorrow never dies. So dialing things back makes sense and plays to the film. Standout scenes for me. One Bond is stepping round and hoping to board that plane, you might remember the airstrip, and watch Roy winging it. Proper spy stuff, and manages to board the plane. He looks somewhat out of place. Everyone else to me on that plane looks like Vinnie Jones. Also Q's farewell is rather touching. The film, though, despite its mature theme, still has fun, and Bond still saves the day. I might prefer it to Goldeneye. Hmm, ask me tomorrow. Maybe it's nostalgia talking, but I have a lot of time for this entry. Underrated, I'd say. Brosnan, as always, brings his A-game. For a lot of us, Brosnan was and still is one cool guy. 
you'll have nothing more than being Bond and it showed on screen. Breathe life into the franchise and we even got to be him in some video games. His films, certainly his first three, I thought brought some new, unique storylines and top tier action whilst tipping the cap to all that came before. And for Die Another Day, well, it ain't that bad at least. It's fun, something the latest films seem to forget. For the Craig era, we were all supposed to feel like we had been on a journey. For Brosnan and all the boys before, I felt like I'd been on an adventure. If you're seeing what's left of the films, I hope you enjoy them at the cinema. I look forward to hearing all the reviews. Good, bad, and good or bad. <laughs> One last note, a massive, massive thanks to the Daily 007 guys. The time and effort put in these reviews, interviews, and all the episodes must be a massive amount of work, but it's worth it. Speaking on behalf of the community, we love all the content. Thank you, boys. Thanks all, and all the best. Cheers. Hey, Sam, I'm going to keep this short and sweet because I'm just at the OG now. I've just picked up my Tango Ice Blast, which is the usual, which the guys know, and make fun of me a little bit for it, which is okay. I'm not too emotional about it. But no, I just met up with Math, and we're just about to watch The World Is Not Enough. One of the best ones. I absolutely adore this film. I think it's... Like the, I actually think it's the most underrated Bond film. You know, I, I think it's got so many good elements. I think even that the bad elements make it, and even those are few and far between for me. But no, I think this has got one of the best villains. I think this has got one of the best uh, kind of like plot lines for a film, for a Bond film. I think M is perfectly utilised in this. <laughs> Shouldn't have been this utilised in future ones, but that's uh, besides the point right now. I just adore it. Like, I think it's my favourite soundtrack. It's my favourite. It's my favourite score by David Arnold. I think he just does it perfectly here. I think it's a good balance of John Barry, but his bought with Arnold's own flair. I think I love the uh, electronic sound. Um, I just think it's great. So um, no, and I'm now going to be seeing Garbage at uh, the Royal Albert Hall next month next month october so i'm looking forward to the title sequence even more even though there wasn't enough is not my favorite title track um i still think it's a great song but no very excited for this looking forward to watch it and i'll be back later with math david aka licensed to queer saw the world is not enough with some friends and here are his thoughts before and after that was an exciting drive to the odeon in dudley <laughs> I actually had a police car behind me about half the way, so I had to be really careful about my speed, especially as I was playing uh, David Arnold's score to The World Is Not Enough, which does really get your heart pumping and makes you want to hit the accelerator a bit more. In fact, at one point, I did check the sat-nav because I took the wrong way because I don't usually come to this cinema, and um, I did kind of think of that moment where Bond has to redirect himself using the the sat nav god that must have been quite sci-fi in 1999 the global positioning satellite sat nav system uh taking him through an alternative route when it gets blocked by cigar girl blowing things up yeah so i'm at the I'm at the cinema uh, in about 20 minutes time i'll be seeing world is not enough tonight i'm meeting a couple of friends hannah maz who regular listeners and readers of the website will be familiar with already um, anthony can't make it tonight uh, but i'm really excited to see this with hannah maz because uh, maz has seen this film before but quite a while ago i think and her wife han she hasn't seen this one before so if you do follow the website religiously you'll know that we introduced han to bond for the first time not that long ago actually watching casino royale and She's watched a few of the Roger Moores since um, View to a Kill uh, and a few more. 
and so it'd be really interesting to see it with them I've always loved The World Is Not Enough I saw it I think unless he's a he's a faulty memory I think I saw it with my mate John who I'm still friends with now and we're doing some Bond stuff together in a few weeks time actually in London and so yeah we're really close friends then and we're really close friends now and we I think went straight after sick form one day to the cinema I don't know if anyone else was with us but we definitely went I'm 99% sure we went after a day doing learning I think we yeah we must have been year 13 by that point so we probably should have been doing more studying and whatever but we went to the cinema instead um, and yeah I've loved it ever since I think I saw it another at least one more time maybe two more times at the cinema didn't have the disposable income to kind of just keep going over and over again like I did with some of the later films I definitely remember us when it was f- released on DVD I remember John and I going into town to buy it again after a day in sick form that must have been getting towards exam period I think what I've always loved about The World Is Not Enough is that the story is really really good uh, I know some people lambast the action sequences and yeah they don't have the punch and the verve of tomorrow never dies but they're very much in service to a really cracking story on the license square website sam rogers has done a really interesting comparison of world is not a phenomenon majesties and there are lots of similarities but world is not enough has a, a strong story in its own right and obviously it's the first one where purvis and wade were involved and immediately you can kind of sense a difference i know they come in for a lot of criticism from some some people which i've never bought into myself i really like what they do for the most part funny i'm exploring skyfall a lot at the moment and it's making me kind of pick up the threads that they set up in world is not enough and then they've played with ever since in the other bond films and so m committing a inadvisable action on the verge of a betrayal perhaps and Bond has to deal with a fallout so very much more about questioning authority figures from this point onwards in the Bond series I know a lot of people don't like the whole Bond goes rogue thing but it's always been a part of Bond but this pushes it to a, to a different level I love the music the score is just just sublime I I know when they re-released it the 20th uh, anniversary release which is what I was just playing on the way here um, through the car it was uh, just amazing getting all those extra tracks so yeah I'm a fanboy for World Is Known Off it's probably my second favourite Brosnan after Tomorrow Never Dies I've actually grown to love all four Brosnan movies even Die Another Day I don't know if I'll be around to actually see that one at the cinema next week but I'll be up for that but for now let's uh Let's go and see World Is Not Enough. Here we are in the foyer. Always sounds posh, the word foyer. The foyer of Odeon Dudley. Uh, Wild 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 West by um, Will Smith is currently playing. Uh, 90s classic. (laughs) 90s classic. And And we're going to see a 90s classic. And we're going to see a 90s classic. The, The last Bond of the millennium. And it's even got the Millennium Dome in it. Amazing. Um, yeah, so... And we uh, all know what a success that was at the time. <laughs> Seriously, though, when we saw the Millennium Dome on screen in 1999, it was like, woo, Millennium Dome, Britain is great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? So it'd be interesting to see what sort of reaction it gets. 
We were just saying that you you haven't seen this one. No, and, and surprisingly. And you've purposely avoided the synopsis, I think. Yeah, much to my disdain. I no, I'm really glad because we've got to be really careful here, yeah, Matt, because this film is actually quite twisty turny for a Bond film. Okay. There are there are twists in it. So I'm I'm glad you didn't read anything about it. That's part of why this film is. I'm glad this is the one that you're seeing because you need a story to grip you, or you won't. won't I think you'll like this one. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I have my ice blast at the ready. (laughs) Medium popcorn. (laughs) So yeah, looking forward to it. And Pierce Brosnan as well. He's a complete icon. No, he's your favourite. I I thought you were sort of ambivalent. Well, I just know, I like Pierce Brosnan in um, Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. <laughs> good, good one. Good one. Yeah, so um, let's... I don't. I literally don't want to say anything because I just want you to go in blind. Yeah. It's got... You know, it's kind of like... You know, when you, you your first two Bond films were Casino Royale and View to a Kill. Yeah. This is kind of a bit of a mashup of both, sort of tonally, maybe. I don't want to kind of get you too excited because it does start with in, like the a really long action sequence and whatever but then it's got kind of like a dark and interesting story this is quite an infamous action sequence actually isn't it this is the action sequence that's uh, had a lot of piss taken out of it quite some time I think over the years so you'll probably recognise it without realising you've seen it yeah maybe I feel like it's going to be something totally different to No Time to Die it's the oh, same okay. yeah it's the oh. same writers straight well some of the same writers anyway but yeah um, no yeah it's got it's got elements but yeah it's it's no no it's not like no time to die okay, no. it's got it's got, it. it's got a nuclear physicist played by Denise Richards in it so oh my gosh yeah, and the 90s I, I don't mean that in any denigratory way she's amazing yeah. I'll be really interested to see not just because you know I'm with two people whose um, preferences yeah, um, uh, uh, more for women than mine are. Uh, but I'm really interested to see your reaction to the female characters in the film as well. Wow, cool. Okay. Brilliant. Hopes if you open the door. And you might be. This is 007. If you're Q, does that make him R? Ah, yes, the legendary 007 wit. Or at least half of it. Now, I dare say, 007, that you've met your match with this machine. Yeah, new model, improved specs. I thought you were on the inactive roster, some kind of injury. Yes, well, we'll see about that. So... As I was saying, the very latest in intercepts and countermeasures, titanium armor, a multitasking heads-up display, and six beverage cup holders. All in all, rather stocked. Fully loaded, I think, is the term. I think. You're not here to think. You're here to do what I tell you. Now, go and put on the coat and demonstrate it for 007. But, of course. Now, watch closely, please, 007. The right arm goes in the right sleeve, thus, and the left arm in the left sleeve, thus. Now, note closely, please. Pockets, poppers, and zipper. Take the lower part of the zipper and insert it into oh, the appropriate pull the tag. What? You said. Seems well suited for the job. <laughs> You're not retiring anytime soon. Are you? 
Now, pay attention, 007. I've always tried to teach you two things. First, never let them see you bleed. And the second? Always have an escape plan. Hi, this is Dom here, giving my thoughts on The World Is Not Enough. I haven't seen this film in the cinema, but I just want to give my thoughts anyway. I really like this one because it brings that personal connection to James Bond before the Daniel Craig era of Sir Robert King being M's friend and his daughter being captured or being kept hostage by Renard and Robert paying the money to get her back and then the money being rigged, obviously, by Elektra, the first female villain, who I feel does a really good performance. The action in this film is superb. Jumping out the window and Bill Bow with the suitcase and the curtain elastic thing, the boat chase, the ski chase, the chase rounds the caviar factory, the action on board the submarine towards the end is perfect for me, as well as the nuclear base in Kazakhstan. The music in this for me is brilliant. I don't think it's as good as the Tomorrow Never Dies soundtrack that I heard last week, but the boat chase music, the caviar chase music, the music when Bond goes from one end of the submarine to the other under the water is brilliant. I really like the car in this one, the BMW Z8. I think it's a fantastic looking car. It's a shame it gets cut in half. I really like Renard in this film. The build-up to him being the villain and he's not the villain is perfect. I'm not sure about Gabor. I feel like he's just a mute stamper, if you like, who doesn't get much screen time. Q's retirement from the force or service is well played and it's a shame that he has to leave in this although he was tragically killed a few months after filming was done. I'm not sure about the casting of John Cleasazar. I know they used him a lot in the video games and the next film, but for me, it doesn't have a patch on Desmond Llewellyn. It just seems to me that he is basically Basil Fawlty and everything's falling around down him, and it's the same here for me. Uh, I don't really want to talk about it, but Christmas Jones as... Um, Denise Richards as Christmas Jones, I can't take her seriously. I don't believe she's a nuclear physicist. If they cast somebody else who had a better approach to this character, I think it would have been a lot better than Denise Richards. It's not terrible. It's not as bad as Jinx, for instance, but I just, I'd never really warmed to this Bond girl, Bond woman. I like Electra in this film, the way she plays herself as the victim and then taking over from her father's pipeline building scheme and seeing herself as the victim. And then it turns around that she's actually the main villain is a good approach. I think they did this well. It's a shame that she's killed off so easily, running at the top of Maiden's Tower and then being shot by Bond. It's a shame that we didn't see her actually on the sub, but I suppose that Renard was sent out to be killed and Electra would still be there to take over, so I guess this is why they didn't do this. I really like M in this film. She's in it a lot more than the other films at the beginning after recovering the money and then at Scotland, where... He, she won't tolerate insubordination and then going out into the field to meet a lecturer and then being captured and then setting off the uh, locating device so they can find her. I feel that I know it's a lot of M in this film, but as Judy Dench hasn't really been in the first two that much, it's good that she's in it a lot more in this one. I really like Bond's outfits in this film, his suits that have three buttons on them rather than two and has the middle one done up. I really like his suit in MI6 with the waistcoat and that tie. I've seen that tie online. I'd love to have one. The uh, tux, the suit in the caviar factory, and then his cream suit at the end with a blue shirt. Wow, I love that design, and he wears it so well, Pierce Brosnan. It's interesting to compare all the Pierce Brosnan films all together. 
I mean, for me, GoldenEye is definitely top. And then between this one and Tomorrow Never Dies, I'm not sure why I ranked them after seeing Tomorrow last week. It's a close comparison, to be honest. Obviously, Die Another Day is last. But really, if I think about it, this one, it's more personal, more involved, more in-depth. It would be easy to suggest this one is better than Tomorrow Never Dies. But after last week, I just I really can't compare them. I, I would just have to put them joint second. There's a lot of cheesy one-liners in this film, probably a lot more than usual, but the way Brosnan plays it, I don't think it does any harm, to be honest. Probably going to leave it there for my thoughts on this film. I really like it, of course. Take care. Hello again, Patch here. Brosnan's third film is perhaps the one I've underappreciated the most. Strange, because I seem to remember this being the first Brosnan film that I got a hold of. That and Die Another Day. Anyway, now that I've rewatched The World Is Not Enough at the cinema, I'm surprised that I haven't regarded it higher prior to now. In terms of being an in-depth character drama, this is perhaps the most dedicated the Bond film has been to that genre since the Terence Young films. Not that other films haven't delved into that. It's just that it really takes centre stage here. And it's because of that I would say Gosden gives his best performance as Bond here. All the usual suaveness and swagger are accounted for. But with a touch of vulnerability that often leads to nastiness and naivety, and Brosnan seems to be very pleased with the final result. Directorial-wise, there's some ups and downs, but the positives generally outweigh the negatives. The best way to sum up the late Michael Apter's direction is that he's talented at all the character work, particularly when it comes to scenes where Bond, Electra, or M are involved. But with the action scenes, He's not as good as making them as dynamic as they are in previous films. Clearly that wasn't his forte, which means he has to rely on Vic Armstrong's second unit work somewhat. Armstrong's action sequences, particularly the boat chase across the Thames, which I really loved on the big screen because you can see Pierce getting so much of a face full of Thames water. These scenes are easily the strongest bits of action in the film. It's less so the case with something like the ski chase, which is enjoyable mostly because it's nice to see Bond skiing again. It just could do with the innovativeness that Willy Bogner added to all the previous film's ski scenes. The film's editing is overall fine, but doesn't quite match the quality of previous editors' works, just that of John Grover, Peter Davies, John Glenn, or even Peter Hunt. Still, it does well enough to entertain, and the action is clearly not supposed to be the centrepiece of the film. No, the real highlight is for a change the actual story being told. On the big screen, Aptit's character work is magnified as you're bound to pay attention to character's expression. And he really loves these close-ups, like those of Sophie Marceau and Robert Carlyle, both very talented actors who are giving it their all in this film. Renard is unusual in being a henchman who's initially set up as a villain, and yet even after he's revealed as a heavy, the story doesn't diminish his importance. The way it focuses on his no-pain gimmick in the apparent quote-unquote love scene between him and Electra is especially intriguing. That scene tells us something about both characters. Is Electra really in love with Renard? Or does she just see him as a wind-up toy she can enjoy controlling? Renard certainly feels something for her. It's left fairly open to interpretation overall, and that's exactly how it should be. Speaking of Electra, isn't Sophie Marceau bloody brilliant? Forget how miscast Denise Richards is in the film, because Marceau blows her out of the water with her magnificent performance. 
There are countless moments when I observe that Electra was lurking in the backgrounds of scenes, just watching people, as if she's sizing them up, judging whether they might be able to blow her cover or not. The bits in the control room during the pipeline sequence, building up to her revealed as a villainess, is perhaps the finest example. You know she can't wait to tell them that she was the one who switched her father's pin in order to cause his death. Judy Dench is also terrific here, and I wouldn't hesitate to say that along with Skyfall, this is one of her finest performances as M. While I don't think the character should go out in the field constantly, here I feel the justification for it feels more acceptable. Tanner does protest to her going to see a lecture after all, and it's a delight to see Zhukovsky once again. He was already one of GoldenEye's most memorable characters, and he's great here too. Robbie Coltrane seems to know his way around the comedy pretty well, yet knows when to play some scenes straight. A pity that he gets shot at the end, but since we never hear about his eventual fate, one could perhaps imagine that once Bond went down into the submarine, M might have found Zakovsky and tried phoning for some medical attention. Since the Brosnan era continuity ended after the next film, we'll never know for sure. I think I should also say that I enjoyed the end submarine sequence a lot more this time. I used to think it was boring and overlong. The big screen, however, seemed to make it easier to understand, and the tension felt more palpable. The end fight with Renard, which I used to regard as an anticlimax that forgets about Renard's no-pain gimmick, also fares better in this format. Watching how Renard reacts to Bond knocking him around, I realise that Renard isn't reacting with pain at all. Yes, he might still grunt, but this time I'm much more sure that he appears to get up much quicker than any normal man would after being pushed down. Nor does he seem to feel the rod going into his chest. So writers Purvis and Wade should be complimented for keeping Renard's character consistent in the climax. David Arnold's score is again pretty good, and hearkening back to much of what made John Barry's score so good. Tomorrow Never Dies perhaps had the better score, but that's not to say this score doesn't deliver when necessary. The tracks Coming 007, Your Time Is Up, Electra's Theme and Caviar Factory come to mind as highlights. One more thing. It's so bittersweet that this is the final film in which Desmond Llewellyn makes his appearance as Q. What can I really say about him that hasn't already been said? He's been a consistent familiar face since From Russia With Love, and for a small part, the fact that he is so beloved speaks wonders. His final scene appropriately addresses his retirement, and seeing him just move downwards off screen truly marks the end of an era. I think that's about as much as I can sum up of my thoughts on The Will Is Not Enough. Like I said, it's a splendid character drama that maybe isn't top tier in my book due to the less dynamic action, but I don't let that spoil my enjoyment. It was a fun experience at the cinema, and re-experiencing how this little Brosnan Bond universe has unfolded so far has been great. Next up, of course, is Die Another Day, and for that, I imagine, I shall be taking a slightly different approach to these little audio reviews. Till then, folks. So you're listening to the Really 007 podcast. My name is Lee Sheward, and I'm a film and television stuntman, second unit director and stunt coordinator. The world is not enough. Your favourite Bond film? Yes, my favourite. Yeah, I, I need to. I need to. You need to tell me how much you love this film and why you love this film, Lorenzo. Oh man, I can go all day. The reason why I love this movie a lot because one of my personal favourites. I think it's a fantastic, underrated movie in my opinion. I like the twist with Electra. Yeah. I like the uh, direction with M Bond and Renard and all that stuff is very compelling to me. 
Christmas Jones is a fun sidekick character on the event. I love Denise Richards. I think the action scenes. That was I would pray by Michael Acton. I would praise him for this. A, a guy who came in who doesn't do action movies. Yeah. I thought he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job with the action scenes in the movie. I don't have no complaint with the action scenes in this movie. I think they, they fit with the story they tell in the movie very well. Yeah. I know that's not, it's not like, I don't know, I know the action scenes will get a little bit crazy about people, but it's not spectacular like a Tomorrow Never Dies. It's understandable, but I think the action scenes by Vic Armstrong and his yes. crew, who did the second unit, I think they did a phenomenal job. Like the Steve sequence, pre title sequence with the bow chase, and the uh, submarine sequence, and uh, the carryout factory with the buzzsaw is one of my favorite action sequences in the series. I love yeah, that, that scene so much. Yes, I think the action scenes in that movie is really good and fit the story very well. I, I understand the characters in the film, like Renard, him being very sympathetic yeah. with Electra, and he found a feel for the guy. And him and Electra are very cool tag team villains in the film. Sophie Marceau performance in Electric King is greatness. Her and brother yeah, got great yeah. chemistry. Hey, on the score is great. I love Shirley Manson opening title songs of uh, the world. One of my favorite songs of my childhood. I love a lot. That song is greatness. Yeah. That movie just, it's a really classic, perfect Bond film in my opinion. <laughs> I love it. After watching it yet again, Lorenzo gave us more thoughts on The World Is Not Enough. Oh, one of my important favorite Bond films in my lifetime. I love that movie. I think the world's not one of the most underrated and underappreciated Bond films in the series, in my opinion. I think the story in there is very compelling. Pierce Brosnan's best performance is Bond. Sophie Marceau, Robert Carlyle are great villains and great team, tag team duo together in the film. Uh, the connection of M being part of the story is very interesting in this movie. I, I, it's very personal. The action scenes in the uh, in the movie is uh, awesome. Like the boat chase around London, the Rim Towns is amazing. Dave on the soundtrack score. I do like this pipeline ski sequence with Bond and Electric with the Parahawks. Exciting sequence. Uh, Robbie Coltrane coming back as a Valentine is yeah. amazing. It's so entertaining. Fun film. I love Denise Richards at Christmas Jones. I think she's a fun sidekick character. Maria Glossy Kushinaga at Cigar Girl is great in the opening of the movie. Hey, great pronunciation. Well <laughs> her, name done. Is, her name is hard to say. <laughs> but, yeah, it is exactly well. <laughs> yes. I can say it. Uh, yeah, she's great in it. Uh, Ledger King is fantastic. And Renard is one of the most sympathetic villains in the series. I like his yeah, backstory of his gimmick. He can't feel no pain and stuff. Not like he's he falling in love with this one woman. That we, we don't know she manipulating him or, yeah. or he's in love with her, but we don't know how she feels the same way about him, but he's very committed towards her. And I think them as a tag team duo, I think it's really interesting as a, a ro romantic uh, lead, in my opinion. Uh, Sophie Marceau and Pierce Brosnan just got the best scenes in the movie. Like, yeah, uh, I love it. David on the score. I love Shirley Manson's title song of the world is not enough. Daniel Kleiman title sequence with the oil thing fixed yeah. the movie very well. I love the video game. Two of the video games on the PlayStation and N64. The world is not enough. Are both great games. Different, aren't they? Oh, yeah, both one of them from uh, Electronic Arts who did Tomorrow Die video game on the PlayStation. One, Yorcom who did the one for the video games for Nightfire and other uh, stuff on N64. Well, going back to Electra, do you, do you think she's in love with Bond? And do you think she's in love yes. with Renard? I think she's in love with Bond, but she's manipulating both of them. Yeah, That's what okay. she's doing, she's manipulating them. 
even though both of them in love, even though Bond know what's going on, but uh, Renard, I think he's more in love with her because you know, you know, she got Stockholm syndrome, and you know, she she seduce her kidnappers and stuff, and yeah, yeah, I I buy that angle in the film. I feel and he feels sent to be feels sent to be for the guy. I mean, he, he knows he's going to die, and he feel very sent. He feels sent to be for him. I know people say, oh, he should be, you know, like a threat as a villain. I mean, I agree with that, but him being a sympathetic villain, we never, I never, we never seen that for for a villain who got this gimmick, who who can't feel no pain. He he knows he's going to die. He he in love with this one woman who that he loves so much to to, to, uh, to rule the world. If I would say, it is amazing, and he's totally obsessed with with. Uh... Sophie Marceau, isn't he? And do you think Bond? Do you think it's the closest he gets to being in love, Pierce Brosnan? Yes, Bond? I always call Electric King a substitute Tracy on her Magic Secret Service. Yeah, yeah. She kind of remind me of Tracy. Just imagine Tracy going to a villain. Imagine being a villain and stuff like that in a, in a fantasy. I think she's a substitute Tracy uh, for her Magic Secret. Yeah. I think Bond really did felt fell in love with her. Definitely when he kills her at the end and he rubs her hair. You, he can, you can feel the emotion and stuff towards it. Yeah, because he would never do that to a normal villain if it was a man, would he? No. He would never be sorry. He'd always be glad they killed her. He sees that she's... In, he, it's nothing he can do. She's too insane. She's too insane yeah. with this yeah. plan. She's going with the blow up Istanbul and blow up the world. Uh, Bond got to do his mission. Save the it day. It's quite shocking to see yeah. him kill her. He's cold blood, of course. Oh, yeah, that was shocking. Even the video game make it shocking. In the video game, it's different. He she holds M with gunpoint, and you have to shoot her. I know it's different in the game. Oh, yeah, he, she holds M and gunpoint. Oh. You you have to shoot M. You have I me mean, not. You have to shoot Electra yeah, to save yeah. M. My bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my apologies. I'm messed up on it. I'll shoot M. Yeah. No, no, no. That mission fell. The love for it has grown a lot over the recent years, and I think it will continue. To I hope light it grows. I hope it grows from appreciation. It was one of the most underrated films in the series, and I adore it a lot. Oh my God! All right, sorry. Look at my eyes. You're all right. Everything's all right. Trust me. So, we have just seen The World is Not Enough at Derby Odeon, Bob Foster, Kieran Rashad, and the good self, Johnny Orty. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mein Bureau had ein Auto reserviert. Oh, no, that was, that was the other film, the sorry. The other fella. The other fella. Mm. So, lads, Bobbo, what yeah. do you think? First impressions after... When was the last time you saw it, firstly? <laughs> ages ago. Easily. Can you define easy, ages? Five years. <laughs> oh, really? Easily. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You I, haven't I, seen it in five no, years? No, I, I don't tend to watch them... Right. Weekly. At, at, ...at home a lot. But, yeah, uh, again, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. That pre-titles... Mm is absolutely spectacular mm. i mean i know for those who do those who don't know the original pre-titles was going to be just the section in bilbao yeah. and him him jumping out of the window was that, that was it basically to, and then the boat chase was due to start after 
the titles mm. and the boat chase was it there was a lot more filmed um you were there, than, you I, were I, I i was there when 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 the cigar girl's boat goes down when it turns the corner just off camera i was watching that but also i saw a chase that there was a chase with the police boats right uh, we were standing on tower bridge mm-hmm. and the police boats went underneath us and then spun round and came back okay. following following bond's boat so there was going to be an awful lot more but it, they got to cut it because of the time of the pre-title because the original edit was something like 30 minutes yeah like 26 yeah, minutes yeah. and they've got got it down to 19 or whatever yeah. it was it's magnificent it is it's it fabulous really you get is. a real, real, real sense of London's well, I said, I said to you as they're going past the House yeah, of Parliament so yeah. there's the money shop yeah. right there you know yeah. two boats flying down there and and Pierce in it in yes, a boat yes. actually driving it a lot yeah yes you know, it was and swallowing huge mouthfuls of <laughs> Horrible but Thames he, but water. He, but he did manage to straighten his tie again. He did straighten his tie. Fair play to him as well. Uh, he also managed to career into Vauxhall Bridge, I seem yes. to remember at some point. Yeah. So hats off to him because he was brilliant he in was. that pre-title sequence. And hats off to Sarah Donoghue as well, who was yes. uh, driving that, uh, uh, driving the Sunseeker, giving it the beans. Yeah. And of course, it was the Thames. first time anyone had seen the Millennium Dome as well. That's then. right. Yeah. And it's no, still it's no, funny. No, it's still no. that, for those people who don't know, that's the O2. You know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody goes, "What's this Millennium Dome you yeah. refer to?" Yeah. So fact, they, it was not originally a permanent fixture. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was going to be just temporary, yeah. wasn't it? That's yeah. yeah as, as was the Eiffel Tower. Good heavens! <laughs> but I tell you, you're a Same fountain way. of knowledge this Same evening, way. my friend. Uh, Karen, points of view. Uh, well, this was my first visual viewing pleasure um, on the big screen. <laughs> but um, <laughs> we, we, we speak. We literally speak a different language. First visual viewing pleasure. Um, Did you watch it then? Did you write? Go on ahead, Frank. Go on. No, no, no. Certainly didn't. No, no. This was um, first time. First time on the big screen, silver screen for me. Um, what is it really? The first I think, time. I think the last time I saw this, I can't remember the last time I saw this film. Actually, watched it from beginning to end. But oh. I've always enjoyed this film ever since it was released. I remember having the poster on my bedroom wall huh? for many years. It was the first real sort of almost you know deep excavation into Bond that I proceeded with, uh-huh. and um, no, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like we. Like my former colleagues here said, it's, 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 the pre-title is one of the best. It is yeah. it is one of the best. And I think prior to no time, it was the longest, was it not? That's yes. right. Yes, yes, it was. Absolutely, um, for years. But just everything works. You know, the musical cues. The little musical cue as well, when he straightens his tie, for me, is one of my oh, favourites. It's just it's, it's the, little, the little touches. Um, but it's a spectacle for the eyes and a spectacle to behold. So, for me... Marvel from Well, I, I know we, we, we talk about the pre-title singers, but I, I said to both of you, at the end of that pre-title, I wanted to get up and applaud. It's just yeah. magnificent. Yeah. It never, It's never off-beat at all. No. It's brilliant, 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 brilliant yeah. from start to finish. Mm. And, a, um, and a precursor to following films where the voxel, where the building gets blown up. Where the building gets blown up, <laughs> exactly, yeah, that's right. right. Yes, that was the first time it got blown up. I seem to remember, and I don't know whether anybody else remembers this, but I'm sure it was on a Blue Peter, and I'm pretty certain that a, a member of the Blue Peter cast mm. was on the set with John Richardson and John Richardson, uh, and maybe if John gets a chance to hear this he can confirm it, or people who know already Diane Louise Jordan, I want to say it's Diane Louise Jordan who was then cued to push the button and then the explosion go off in the MI6 building 
Yeah. It does resonate. I, I, I seem to remember that. I've never had that confirmed, but that's something in my head that, that says that was what that was, and I remember. Right. But the model work in that is brilliant again. It is again. very, very good. The, but, opening se- yeah. I say, the opening scene of Bond driving to meet Electra. Electra. In, in, in the BMW. It's a model. Yeah. But it's just brilliant. It the car is a model. It's superb. Did so, you know... Did you say there was only one piece of CGI as well in the... In, in the pre-title sequence, mm. just the torpedoes. The torpedoes, isn't it? Yeah. And even that Every, looks superb. You know, everything well, else in that is real. This point. CGI should be used to enhance a scene, not create Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sparingly, and then used to enhance it. Quite right. The cast were very good. Yeah. Perfect, both, both, perfect, both the girls played very well. I'd forgotten how good Denise Richards was. <laughs> I think she's very good, um, yeah. She doesn't lose the character at all she's she's telling him about the chemicals and uh, and how things react with things all the way through right to the end yeah um, she's she, the logic she behind his degenerate into a squealing mess. No, oh, well, as um, we said, you know, I think that that her her character without her, he certainly wouldn't have been able to do what he's doing no. because he doesn't understand, but she does. Yeah. So yeah. she knows X, Y, and Z, and therefore he gets a better idea of ah, well, in that case, I need to go up here and try to do this, that. And I think the only odd thing was that it was Denise Richards who was cast. Mm. Who, if you look at her previous films wasn't the type of mm. actress, possibly, who'd accepted jobs that were along these lines. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is potentially Starship Troopers. That was, yeah. That yeah. was yeah. the film that yeah. almost served as her screen test. That's yeah. right. She's very yeah. similar in that to yeah. a degree. Yeah. But Bob's absolutely right. I mean, I, I'd forgotten how good she was, actually, because mm. she's heavily scrutinised, as is the film. Yeah. And yeah. both feel yeah. unfairly. She's definitely the brains to his brawn. Mm. Yeah. Certainly. I also think that the Colin Salmon scenes with Michael Kitchen with the Scooby-Doo group exactly yeah yeah. so once you've got the bunch and you've got all of that and the money penny and I think they're those scenes at the castle and all that sort of stuff, they're very good. And I think it's, you know, it's Michael Apted, isn't it? I mean, it's him yeah. coming... Because he's yeah. a very different director to everybody else. Yeah. He's a documentary guy originally. Mm. You know, he comes from all the... Um, uh, uh, you remember the seven ups and the sixteen yes. ups and all that? It was yes. all him. You yeah. know, he did all of those for the BBC. Conventional casting in that, uh, well, in terms of appointing a director. Yeah, yeah, very uh, unusual. It serves, it serves itself well. But, but I think the, they've done a, virtually the rest of the backroom crew are virtually the same. Yeah, aren't they? practically. Mm-hmm. Um, Vic Armstrong and well, they, they, all of them. This is Peter, Peter Lamont. Yeah, just terrific. Uh, but, and, and that, I mean, that that is that is really unique. That submarine on its uh, at right angles. Mm. <laughs> it's for an end sequence. Uh, <laughs> it's fab- fabulous. So we're going up then, <laughs> she says. Yeah, which is brilliant. You know, it was nice to see at, at the time. It was nice to see Judy Dench stroke M in a meteor role with the trying trying to get the the. Clock to, to um, yeah. get the signal to, to, to bond. Yeah. I would say since um, Robert Brown in license, it was the first really big. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. 
If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Role that M has served. Yeah. I would say, in terms of... Yes, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. I think she's very good. She's actually... I'm not the biggest fan of of, of Judy as M. I mean, I think she's fine in this period. I don't think she really should have gone on and and done the the Daniel Craig period because it's just confusing. But but this period, I think she's very good. And the the stuff between Pierce and her is excellent. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's very well... When, you know, she's saying, don't... Don't uh, I won't take uh, insubordination. He just says, "What happened?" You know, they're just discussing yeah, it. Yeah. Tell me, tell me what happened, and then she tells him. You know, and it's difficult for her to tell him, uh, but she a, tells. It's him. a totally different dynamic between his bond yep. and Craig's bond. Yeah, and I, for me personally, I prefer slightly the dynamic. Well, quite a bit actually, the dynamic between Brosnan and Dench. I, I just, I really, really think that. Um, I think Daniel plays better off Ray Fiennes. Yeah. As, um, it's a very interesting debate, isn't it? I'm not one I've really thought about before, mm. but I think you could be right, gents. So. Yeah, it was very sad to see Desmond's last yes. appearance as well, which, oddly enough, was virtually the last thing that he did because he died in a February. car accident. It was the February, wasn't it, that yeah, he, he died? Ju- he, in fact, even even more point, poignant, he'd just finished publicising his autobiography. That's right. Yeah. He, was on a, an, he was on a... He was on a tour. He was on a, co- tour. a countrywide tour, and he was driving himself... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. At his age, and and then had this road accident. That's a great shame. It's a very, it's a very seems, poignant scene. It is. It just seems so odd that he was finishing anyway. Yeah. And handing over to. But the thing is, oh, I could be, I could be mistaken, but I'm sure he expressed interest in returning for the next one. Oh, it would be a total surprise. But, what, did he, um, what, what other work did he get? Well, exactly. But you know, it's it's, it's almost it, it it heightens the his final scene dramatically. I feel he um, was the um, he was the last bastion of of that. Original lineup, yeah, the yeah. yeah, of the franchise. But it's funny. Uh, John Cleese is a lot better in this film than I. I thought that. I, I, the thing, the thing is, he works well being an assistant to Q, but I don't think he holds it off as Q. No, no, no. no he's I, I too, think he's, this, this he's, is this is perfect. He's, he's actually he's too Basil Fawlty, yeah. actually. <laughs> but of course, yes. you know. <laughs> <laughs> <Mantle off. laughs> it's just that that whole thing about you know the 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 coat Jacket. and the buttons yeah. and pop and this and you know alright it's, it's it's a bit daft but then the ending scene I like very much yes, yeah. exactly. because he realises what's going on yes. uh, him and Tanner are looking at each other and yeah, oh, rolling yeah. their eyes and then he switches the whole thing off you know yeah. whereas in Die Another Day I just think he's annoying it's, yeah. almost, it's, it's, it's almost like he tries to be funny and when you do that you almost have the opposite effect yeah. whereas in the end he downplays it and he works really well Desmond's, yes. Desmond was an actor yes. who had occasional funny lines yes. You, you don't, re- you know, to to employ a comedian mm. and writer to be funny, and then you, th- when you think about it, you've got you've gone from John Cleese to Ben Whishaw. I mean, what a contrast! Well, yes. yeah, um, if you think. About Although uh, Ben has his moments of being very funny, I must admit. In the yeah. space of you know, yeah. three films, but uh, but the thing is, again, Ben Whishaw's an actor; he's not a comedian. Yeah, that's it. Um, 
and I think that lends itself perfectly. It, it's the best way to go about it when it comes to Q, anyway. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd certainly, t- tonight was the first time that I'd really seen the annoyance between Money Penny and Warm Flash. Yes. You know, yes. You know, bloody hell, yeah. these girls really dislike each other, yeah. you know? Tell you what, tell you what I, I pointed it out to you, John, at the time, yeah. the, the boat that text Bond to oh, yes. the Maiden's Tower, I oh, noticed yes. I, it was, this, it was yeah. called Seventh Heaven. Seventh Heaven, yeah. Seventh I noticed that before. I noticed Aye, that well. it, um, <laughs> And uh, David nice Arnold was up there again, producing a fantastic score. Oh, well. I just... uh, and actually he gets the uh, title song in the right place this time. I know, with, with Don Black. Yes. You know, again, because yes. they've had that success. That I, I think this is, this is my, absolutely my favourite Brosnan yeah. uh, score that, that David Arnold does it's brilliant it's so well paced it is. the action cues are spectacular yeah they, they're yeah, not just the, good they're the, absolutely the, spectacular the, the music that I like best I think is the is the music for the when they're jumping out the helicopter yep. doing the ski chase mm, and then yeah. the the parahawk yeah. music yeah. Yeah. They, they were so so menacing they were I was saying yes, to you John before the show it, it's that perfect mixture of the traditional Bond elements along with the Digital age. Yeah, yeah. He's ta- absolutely. He's Lotta, taken all Lotta, of that. It's just bringing in all the drum loops. Drum loops, and yeah. uh, God bless his brother Les, who is uh, responsible for those drum loops. Absolutely spectacular. Really, really yeah. on point. And one thing that I did do, which I, I think I'm sure I did a long time ago, but it's you hear stuff up the first part of the boat chase. Mm. up to when he realises he's got to go across land. Mm. That moment there, you can segue that piece of music, which I used to do on on cassette back in the day, when I'd recorded it from CD onto cassette, was that I could segue that quite nicely into Propellerhead's um, uh, backseat driver. Yeah. It's a a cracking score. It is. I just love it. You know, it's got a lot of of good things going for it. I'm not quite Mm. sure why it got as much flack as it did. I was saying to John before, uh, if anyone's not checked it out, make sure to have a look at the La La Land Deluxe Edition because it's got a lot of extra cues and musical... Yes, it has. No, it's not included on the original yeah. release, so it's a superb edition. It, it was only this mm-hmm. film and Darn of the Day where they've they've done that. They've not yeah. released any of the others, which I think is a travesty, so fingers mm. crossed. In the well, no, well, not La La Land, but uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, was uh, that was released two or three times, yeah. various... Yes, originally there was almost no score on it at all. Yeah, well, it just goes halfway through, doesn't it? But then they released... And also, yeah. good to see this evening that, um, as you said yourself, I'd forgotten Omid um, Jalali. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, top comedian and yes. actor who yeah. appears in Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia was the height of his sort of acting and, uh, yeah. fame. I mean, you know, this well, he was ninety nine. The Mummy. He says himself, yeah, whenever nice. whenever anybody wanted somebody who looked remotely foreign, he was cast. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. He's not wrong, I suppose. But he um, and, and of course, Goldie. Mm-hmm. And Goldie, of course, who went on to do well, well, nothing. Nothing. Um, so well done, Goldie. I, I, in fact, he's come a long way since being a Blue Peter dog. <laughs> and I was expected to see Simon Groom with him, yeah. but no, uh, he was let out on his own, putting his money where his mouth was. Yeah. Uh, um, Michael Wilson, his little yes, cameo again yes. within the confines of the casino. Yeah, yep. um, unmistakable. Yeah, um, with the with the plate, with the money. It's actually handing quite... her money, and I think as opposed to what we were discussing in the last film with Joe Don Baker, mm. Robbie Coltrane's uh, reappearance. I think he betters. I do the character. It, it's improved. Yeah, Zukowski's a better character. Yeah. I think because I'll be honest. I mean, I do like him in this film, but I just I prefer his 
take on the character in Goldeneye. Yeah, personally, but yeah. the thing is, with Goldeneye, he's not given very much with which to work. No, no he's there's almost no. like an extended. Camera. There's that initial conversation with him and Bond, you know, about the funeral parlor and bloody blah, etc., blah, etc., et and um, about the Lienz Cossacks and yeah. Goldeneye, yeah. and then that's about the size of it. Whereas here, yeah. he's cropping up along the way, and he yeah. does carry the story forward. Yes. You wouldn't get that escape sequence yeah. with Bond chasing what's her face up the stairs if it wasn't. For him bursting in yeah. and doing the whole routine in the first place. So. The, the thing is, when I watch sorry, sorry Bob, when I, when, I, when I watch Tchaikovsky in this one, the thing is, when you watch him in Goldeneye, I I feel unnerved by him because he comes across as a genuine mafia boss who could kill you. Yeah. Whereas in this one, he hams it up a bit. Yes. Right. And, and yeah, I, yeah. I don't feel threatened by his character. He just he, he comes across it quite the contrast actually, warm and cuddly, like oh, yeah. Bond, yeah. James Bond, you know, give me a hug and. No, um, warm, cuddly, and covered in he's caviar. He's not bad. I mean, he, he still plays it brilliantly. But for me, I just prefer his interpretation. Mm. Yeah, it's a good. It's a. It's a. It became a fun character, probably yes. more so. But yeah, it um, did. it's a ter- again, a lot of these set pieces. That caviar factory scene is just mm. magnificent. <laughs> Built on the back lot there yeah. over the pond. Yeah. At um, over the tank at Pinewood, and also Michelle Yeoh uh, arrived. There's photographs of Michelle Yeoh on the set, oh. visiting. The, I think she visited uh, uh, Pierce and, and Vic. On the set, and uh, it's huge. It's a big, big set. Yeah, that scene is but fabulous. I'm guessing that the because re- originally there was supposed to be a car chase. If I'm not mistaken, there was a car chase. They didn't have a car. Yeah. They had like two. They had one the the actor car, and then they had one for some special effects car. And that was yeah. it. Yeah, it was. It wasn't a prototype, wasn't it? The Z8 yes. at the time. Yes, it was. So that's why they've had to do the the model sequence at the start, and that's why the car just. Sort of reverses back very slowly and then gets cut in half because they just hadn't got anything to play with, I don't suppose. Again, it echoes very much of Goldeneye. It doesn't really get much screen time and it doesn't really get to use... It doesn't get to maximise it to its full potential, whereas the next film, your favourite, John, (laughs) again, the vehicle is, is... Made invisible. Invisible, <laughs> invisible. Yeah. Um, but no, I've really enjoyed that tonight. That was superb. Yes, it was. What, the world is not enough is is a is a move. There was a time, and uh, in fact, I seem to remember when my son, my son's twenty this year, uh, in September, and um, when his mother was when his mother was going through severe contractions, we we would we would often just put on the pre-title sequence, as I remember, on a video cassette right. uh, on there just to watch it. And I would often go back and just watch the pre-title sequence while she was uh, struggling with with, um, well, with contractions. Nice. Well, you know, you've got to, you know, there's, I've made up for How it support? since. How supportive. <laughs> yes. I was very supportive at the time. I had one of those machines, you know, that uh, they gave you at the hospital and you had to place, place it on her lower back and turn the electric charge up to like 11. Mm. on her request and she, she'd go now and i go bang and I hit the button are you sure it wasn't Electra's torture chair um, very possibly yeah that's true <laughs> I love Pierce's face by the way yeah, in well, that torture thing yeah. he, he, One, does, he does a great excruciating pain great face to- doesn't he tortured face well the, the two the two last things I must mention how many laughs there were in this in this viewing? I think there yeah, were people who had never seen it before. Yeah, it was yeah. superb. Yeah. Honestly, so many lines. Yeah, really yeah. good lines. Funny, yeah. funny. And it was great. It, it completely lifted the atmosphere. It was good um, to see. And you know what? Robert Carlyle, fantastic. Yeah. Again, I, I think as an actor, he does not get the credit he does. I mean, of course, the people who like him will rave about him, mm. rightly so. But <laughs> yeah. I think he's a brilliant villain. Uh, yes, every, he is. every part he undertakes, he's, a, he's very much a Gary Oldman. He's a total chameleon. He's yes, totally different from yes, one is. film yeah. to the next. So um, I thought he was great. And the, the plot twist where you think he's the villain 
and it turns mm. is uh, very yes, clever. Yes, it was very, very well done, that. So I, I, I love this film. Yeah. I can't fault and it. And also ending with a superb David Arnold song yes. with Scott Walker singing. Yes. Yep. And that is, is actually used quite a lot in the film as well, isn't it? It's Only myself to blame. casino yeah. scene. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very good. There's one, one appearance. Yeah, uh, fabulous, so fabulous song. I say song to you, John, that. when the credits rolled, literally the film finishes, James Bond will return, the big blast of the orchestra Of the Bond score. thing. Yeah, and it's yeah. the Bond theme, and yeah. for me, that is how Bond should be on the big screen. I think he's got. Uh, that was. Um, I said to you, didn't I? It was like the first time that there was a, a medley or a what, what mm, were they referred yeah. to? A suite yeah. of you know varying tracks and bits and pieces. I don't think they'd done that before. They certainly hadn't done it afterwards. I don't think. Well, I Although there was a, there was a bit of something in Dine of the Day, possibly, and then Crawl in Crawl for. Um, mm. Quantum, which yeah. I've always enjoyed enormously as well. So, yeah, fabulous. Thoroughly enjoyed it from start to finish. Really um, and can't wait to watch it at the cinema in, uh, well, what, 60, 60, another 60 years, lads? Well, mm. well. and uh, and Mrs. Harris has still not got to Paris. She hasn't. And the guy who sits down from us is still eating <laughs> his own body weight. Yes. <laughs> In chips yeah. and uh, nachos. nachos and slushies. Hot, I think he had a hot dog as well. It's well, <laughs> true. And we can confirm and clarify that these trailers are not chosen especially. No, no not in the, the visual pleasure. No, they're not else. any visual pleasure whatsoever, it's apart from the David Bowie one, no, which David we all Bowie agree looked looks terribly very, good. Uh, and the other, what was the, the one? The one, Richard, let's, let's, is it Let's Find Richard? Or? Let's Find Richard yes. or this Richard. Yes. very good. Um, living, incidentally, living in Leicester, obviously they found him in Leicester, but I don't remember anything in connection with fil- the filming there at all. There's lots of scenes of Edinburgh in yes. that picture, uh, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if all of the stuff that is, is supposed to be Leicester is possibly recreated on the back lot of some studio. Well, uh, because um, uh, that, filmed in Glasgow. that would have brought Leicester to a standstill if there was a movie being filmed there. But, uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed that, and uh, I hope you all enjoyed it, watching it wherever oh. you've been watching it. And until next time, oh. goodbye. Goodbye. What are you doing here? The same thing you are. Looking for the people who tried to kill me. Let me take you home. Now. No. I want them to see I'm not frightened. Miss King, how very nice to see you. We have kept your father's chair free. Free? Nothing comes free from you, Sapkowski. Your father had a credit line with us. One million US. I'd be happy to extend you that courtesy. So, what's it to be? 21? Blackjack, your father's favorite? Let's keep it simple. One card, hydro, a million dollars. Wait. Bury the top three cards. You're determined to protect me, aren't you? Perhaps from yourself. You don't have to do this. There's no point in living if you can't feel alive. Queen of Hearts. that you have been beaten by the ace of clubs. 
No hard feelings, my dear. Come again soon. Shall we? Electra. This is a game I can't afford to play. I know. Hi guys, Steve here. Hope you're all doing very well. I'm afraid I haven't been able to listen to your Tomorrow Never Dies podcast. I've actually been absolutely hooked on a YouTube channel this week about uh, crane accidents in the United States. But I will get back to your podcast very soon. Well, Marie and I were down at the Odin and Surrey Keys this week for The World Is Not Enough, and I have to say Brosnan has an absolute winner for this film. I would even go as far to say it's better than sex. Well, better than any sex that I've ever had. From the Thames chase to the submarine climax under the Mamara Sea in Istanbul, this film never lets you up for air. It's simply wall-to-wall action, supported by two of the most beautiful women in cinema. I remember saying to my wife when we saw Tammy and the T-Rex that Denise Richard could be a Bond girl one day, and she was. My only problem with this film is the technical inaccuracy of the pipeline bomb scene. Bond says it will take 78 minutes to cover the roughly 106 miles of pipeline, but in actual fact, as I think we probably all know, it would take 92 minutes. As a man who used to drive for a living, I know how fast you can travel at 70 miles an hour, and Bond was well off. That aside, hoping to catch die another day next week, that is if the wife will let me. Thanks, guys. Hey, Sam, I've just got back from the Trafford Centre, uh, watching The World Is Not Enough with Math. Unfortunately, we didn't have enough time to record together, so we're recording our post uh, watch thoughts separately. The World Is Not Enough. So, I mean, I actually last saw this film in the cinema in 2019, uh, along with Moonraker and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So this was the final of the, th- uh, of the three films that were on that day. And I think it was, it was watching that film close to Honor Majesty's Secret Service that really you know, made me open my eyes to the similarities between the films. I'd I'd always kind of, like, noticed some things, but that viewing at the cinema really kind of made me stop and think about all the things I hadn't noticed or, you know, had just kind of glossed over. You know, so I I briefly spoke to Math after about that. He said that about, you know, about the ears, for example, the ear link um, between the films, which out of context sounds very weird, I know, but it's too coincidental. Everything, everything that, you know, has been noted about the two films that are similar or, or the links that they have, it feels like it's way too similar because no, I, not many of the other films have as many links and together as that, as those two films do. So, you know, it's interesting once again to, to, to have seen it on the big screen and to have taken all of that in now that you know i wrote you know the article on license to queer about the similarities between the two films and so to watch on the big screen and actually see them all taking place in that format was great although what was weird i don't know if it probably did happen for everyone else but the mgm they've uploaded they've updated the mgm uh logo at the beginning of all the films to be one of the most recent ones whereas with this they it was the 75th anniversary logo um, so I found that was a little bit weird. So, I mean, whether or not they've used an old version, I don't know. But either way, it, it's it's an excellent watch. You know, now that I've got a bit more time to talk, I can just go into things that I said a little bit more. You know, so for things like the soundtrack, for example, you know, there's, you know, Caviar Factory, all the music in the pre-title sequence. You know, one of my favourites is when uh, Christmas and James are in the... Are in the pipeline you know that thumping sound and it's like it feels like a countdown and i just love that and you see electra in the background 
looking shadily. It's just really great. I absolutely love the soundtrack. I think it totally works. Although I will say, and again, I, I mentioned this to Muth at the end of the film, I was kind of, after seeing Cue the Music live and hearing Scott Walker's Only Myself to Blame performed live, it really did make me go, oh, I really wish they'd put it at the end of the film. And I know it would have been depressing and I know it's it's kind of a downer, but you know, after hearing it performed live, it's, it's been stuck in my head more. And when you hear the melodies throughout the film and, you know, it, you know it's use in Electra's theme, you know, I, it just makes me think of it more. And I was just kind of like, oh, just a, just a Bond theme at the end, which is good. But I think we kind of have ended this run of end title tracks that are different from the title song and different from the Bond themes, which started with The Living Daylights with If There Was A Man. So we've had four films of, you know, end title songs that have been different. And it's kind of a shame that this film is the end of that. Perhaps if only myself to blame had been used, then that, you know, tradition would have, would have continued. But thus far, it hasn't been done aside from No Time To Die, but I can't really count that because it's a it's a song that's been used before. Characters, you know, Brosnan's just so good in this, and I, I, I can admit there's there's the odd line which is a bit like, ooh, maybe they could have gone again with that, or maybe tried a different way, but on the whole, he's just totally comfortable. I wish his hair was a bit longer, <laughs> just because I love his hair in Tomorrow Never Dies. It's just a bit floppy, and it's just it just had a bit more to it, whereas this one, I think he, he looks a bit more older with this haircut, and I, I don't know whether he was um, filming the Thomas Crown affair towards this same time but I mean either way I don't know whether that matters or not uh, whether he had to have his hair a certain way for that but I do think it's a shame but I mean some of his clothes in here are great and you know towards the end you get that tan suit with blue shirt which really reminds me of um, everything or nothing the video game and I just think he just think, I just think he looks great in that and for me it's like a Brosnan signature is that is that color combination yeah, and I just, I, some of his performance in this is great. I mean, he, he can be really serious in this and he, you know, he's definitely focused on the mission. You know, he, he as soon as he realizes about Electra, he doesn't step away from it. He, he I don't, I think he barely doubts himself if, if at all. He knows as soon as he links it together, he's like, right, this is it. And, and he's right. And he does what he has to do. And, you know, at the end of the day, he, he goes through a little bit of some difficulties in this and some, you know, quite, some quite scary stuff. But, I mean, he, he gets, you know, through it and he, you know, saves the day, which is what he needs to do. So I think that's, that's great. Electra is the standout of this film. And, you know, she now continues this kind of like tradition of, of villains in Brosnan's era being a little bit different. You get Alec, who's the double O, who's changed sides. You've got Elliot Carver, who's a media mogul, something that we hadn't seen before. And then there's Electra, who's the first female villainess. I think anyone who believes that her and Renard are on the same level or that Renard's the main villain, I think. I, I just don't understand where you come from with that because, I mean, it's all it's all to mess with you. It's not it's not meant to be that. It's meant to look like that, but in actuality, that's not it. Of course, Renard has people working for him. He has the means, he gets the job done, but he's not the brains of this operation. Clearly, he has some brains because of his, his role, as, role as a terrorist and what he had done beforehand and you know, ultimately the kidnapping of Electra, and that really sets off the chain of events that, you know, take place in this film. But Electra is the one, and, you know, she, Sophie Marceau does a really great performance. I think she 
totally nails that vulnerable side of, Ele- of Electra, which she uses throughout the film. She uses it to she uses it to use everyone, plain and simple. You know, she's you know towards the end, she's like you know says they'll believe, they'll all believe. Don't you see? No one can resist me. It's kind of that celebrity status. And again, I, I mentioned this in the article that I'd written for Licensed Square, so not to plug it too much, but if you get a chance and you're interested, then please take a read because I go into Electra a little bit more in that. But I just think she's a fabulous character. I love her wardrobe. And I know I go through the wardrobe a lot, but I think I just love her sense of style. She's very, she's such a modern, you know, woman. And, you know, for 1999, you've, you've got the last, you know, it's the shift to the 21st century. She really feels like she's, you know, the epitome of that. You know, she's then in such a such a state of power. She's got so much of it and she's willing to utilize that. She's willing to, she's willing to lose a lot to then, win, to then win even big, to win even bigger, I should say. So it's just kind of great to kind of hear what her plan is and actually everything that she did to actually make it come together at the end of the day she's not real with anyone you know she even towards the end she's still using renard yeah i just think she's a bit of a sociopath (laughs) but i mean she's a great one she's a fabulous one that red dress it's just oh my goodness like i love it so much anyway i could go on about electric forever i'm not going to Renard is good. Robert Robert Carlyle does the job that he needs to do. He doesn't really stand out as much as others, but enough to not have him fade into the background. And I know on Nightfire, I used to, when I would play with bots, I used to put Electra on as a bot and Renard as a bot and have them at least there together. <laughs> just because I don't know why. I always just thought it was fun, but... Yeah, Renard in, in this is okay. I don't think there's much more they could have done within the story to use him. Because at the end of the day, I think there's only so much that you can do with him without taking away from Electra. So I think, you know, what he did was fine. And I think, you know, the performance was solid. Christmas Jones, Denise Richards. I don't have a problem. I never had a problem. But I never had a preconception of who Denise Richards was and what what she stood for, I'd say, with quotation marks. You know, she does a good job of what she has. Um, I think the writing for her character could be a bit better. I think she's she's all about providing context and information and this nuclear thing is this and it doesn't, you know, this degree in nuclear physics and blah, 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 and the reactor. And, you know, she, she's definitely, you know, there to, to be the information for Bond. But, you know, I, I think there's, there's, there's been worse. There's been worse, you know, female characters in these films. And so I can't, I can't in good conscience knock Christmas down. She's fine. She's not great, but she's definitely not bottom of the barrel. Absolutely not. And I just think a lot of the criticism of her is, is, has been definitely unfair. Of course, I can't say she's the best. Absolutely not. And even if she's not even the best in this film because of Sophie Marceau, you know, you know and, and that's the thing. I don't want to pit them against each other at all. But I mean, Sophie Marceau's performance and character is just a lot, you know. Sometimes it's like, well, should Christmas have even been there? But I think, yeah, she does enough for the story to, you know, allow her to be there. Um, MI6 regulars, before I get on to M, love Money Penny in this. You know, she I think this is maybe one of my favourite films from Money Penny. Sam, Samantha Bonds anyway. Uh just because I love I love her flirtiness with um with Bond at the beginning and then her kind of her potential jealousy of uh Holly Warmflash, no, Molly Warmflash, sorry, not Holly. I think that's really great. The inclusion of, of Molly's fine. It gets a laugh. You know, it is what it is. Um, 
having Colin Salmon and Michael Kitchen together is just like a weird moment because after Tomorrow Never Dies and Golden Knight, it's like they're not, they were never together because obviously Colin Salmon came in to replace Michael Kitchen's character. So to see them together is great and I love having them both in this film and it really feels like the whole family is in this. Poor Q, um, it's a great last outing for him. I absolutely love Desmond Llewellyn and I think to even know he was planned to come back and die another day, um, I still think this is a good ending for him. Not overstated, but very sweet. And the introduction of John Cleese in his uh, short role as R slash Q uh, begins here. Very funny. Yeah, it doesn't do too much in this, but you just get a good laugh from him, and that's that's kind of the main thing with this. And... You know, Judy Dench is a great actress and it's great that she is able to put her put her acting chops um, into this a little bit more. Although it's still, she's not in it too much, but it's enough to, it's enough to be a difference from all previous films featuring M. It kind of feels like how Q had license to kill M has The World Is Not Enough. And I just love kind of her relationship with the Kings and that is because of her partially that this has happened so i kind of wish it was it kind of went a bit deeper with her it'd be good if bond and emma had a conversation after the fact but you know it's fine as is you know i think she did she did a really good job finally just kind of to go over the, the story i think it can get slightly confusing at times but i think overall i think it's it's fun and it's it's different once again. And I like where it takes us. I like that we go to some different areas. We go to Baku, we go to we go back to Istanbul, which I'm fine with. We go to Bilbao. We see a little bit more of London in the pre-title sequence. Uh, we go to Scotland for the first time. Maybe it's not the first time, maybe the first time. It was the first time in Spy Love Me. I don't know, but anyway, it's just good to, to have a mix of kind of classic Bond locations and some new ones. It really feels like the last of, a, of the classic era for me. I think Dine of a Day is such a shift and in tone and visual and that this really feels like the end of an era. But, you know, part of the end of an era is that it's the start of the new one and part of that start is Purvis and Wade who begin their tenure as, as, as writers on Bond for better and definitely for worse. No, I think this is a solid story and I think the idea of having someone like Electra be the main villain is, I think, is just genius and... The fact that we've not had another lead female villain since is just crazy to me. I mean, it took, what, 37 years for the first one after Dots and after Dots No came out? You know, 37 years for the first female villainess, villain, whatever. And now it's been how many years since 1999? 23. 23 years and still no other lead female villain. Um, which is just crazy to me. I don't know. To me, there's also a lot of camp elements in this film. You know, there's no point in living if you can feel alive. Like, I know everyone quotes that. Um, I just think it's really funny. I think to then have a go at Brosnan for that is a bit silly because obviously he was directed to say it that way. Maybe he chose to see that and he liked it. I don't know, but, you know, I I don't know. I just think this film gets absolutely unnecessary, you know, hate and criticism when I think it's just really fun. And, you know, it... It feels like the perfect blend of of classic and modern, like a lot of the Brosnan era is, but this truly, for me, feels like it being perfected. I don't think it's the best film. I don't think it's, you know, on the same level as as some of the others. But for me, you know, it's it's sixth place in my ranking. You know, it's, it's my second favourite Brosnan. And, you know, it's difficult to beat out Goldeneye. Um, but I think this just does so much right of what Someone Never Dies didn't. And, I, and, you know, the final thing, I said to Math, 
Someone Never Dies, for me, got a lot of individual elements correct and did them superbly well. But unfortunately, as a, as a collective, as a film, it doesn't really work out. It feels like this thing's missing, whereas here, maybe some of the elements aren't, you know, at their peak and not the best. But as a film, as what it does, it comes together and I just think it's it's wonderful. Um, and I enjoy this film so much and it's it's the only VHS film that I got for myself. The four VHSs that I had as a kid were what my dad got. This film was the only one I got before I got the DVDs. So I'd have, yeah, of course I have some nostalgia with this as well. But yeah, I think it's, a, I just think it's great. And it's, you know, I, I'll just go on. I'll go on and on and on about it. I really could, but um, I am going to start because I feel like they're going to kill me. Definitely cut this out, Tom. <laughs> cut as much of this out as you want. But yeah, just to say, there wasn't enough. Fantastic film. If you haven't seen it, or you haven't seen it in a long time, definitely watch it. Probably too late to watch it at the cinema, but if it appears in the cinema again, go watch it. If you've not seen it for a long time, go watch it on Blu-ray, DVD, Amazon Prime, wherever you watch films. Watch it. I think it's so underrated, a lot better than people give it credit for, and a lot more intelligent than people give it credit for. And I think people focus on only a couple of the of the potentially bad elements and focus on that without really giving it a proper shot. So the world's not enough. Give it a shot and I never miss. So there you go. World is not enough. <laughs> what what the what a final line. I think I'm just absolutely stunned to silence through that last line. <laughs> Can't believe they went there. <laughs> no. Do you think that's because the rest of the film is quite, well, not serious necessarily, but because it's, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I like the fact that it wasn't serious, actually. I like that it, it was really funny, but also, like, it was like, it still had the quick handle barn storyline going on. Yeah. They made it really funny as well. I see, I'm, I'm always, I always have a really high threshold for, like, a mix of tone, and it's, like, really st- stupid and silly, but yeah. also, like, deadly serious, and... That were like so unnecessary, but they put them in anyway. Wait, you know, like when uh, when they had the chef guy at the caviar factory. Oh yeah, yeah. That way. Like, yeah, like, yeah, that I know, I know. Anyway. That's one of my favourite scenes yeah. in the whole film. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of Electra? Did you get? Did you? At what point did you think she's the villain? I'm kind of thinking thinking more about Han here. Maz, did yeah, you did you yeah. remember? I did, yeah. So I, I sort of had the cheese and really because it all came back to me. As soon as I saw her face, I was like, oh, her. I think you're supposed to suspect her from quite early on. Yeah. But it's like, oh, no, it can't be a woman. It's the only time they ever do, like, a woman being the main villain. Yeah. Just... I thought she made a really good villain, to be fair. Yeah. I thought she played the role really well. Denise Richardson... As a oh, Bond girl, yeah. I'm not sure she sort of fit the stereotype of Bond girl. It's like Lara Croft has arrived yes. in the yeah. <laughs> it, it was intentional. I think. There were there were some people on the right hand side who were kind of laughing at whenever <laughs> as soon as she appeared. Yeah. I can't yeah. help think sometimes. I don't think this is all of it, but it's just like kind of like because everyone kind of has an image of Denise Richards, and they just like. A pretty person couldn't be a nuclear physicist. I, I don't know. I, I think there is. A, I think always there's a bit of a degree of misogyny there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very aware. I'm. I have a scientist in my presence. <laughs> <laughs> that was 
science lines they threw in were so unnecessary. But, like, you know what? So as we were listening, I was like going, oh my god, I bet Maz is tearing this to shreds <laughs> from a scientific point Maz of view. Maz was like, at one point, uh, that doesn't actually happen. And yeah, like, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> With the bullet, when they explained the bullet story. About how he's getting stronger until he dies. See, we're in the social sciences, so we don't we don't notice those things. I did like the biggest eye roll. <laughs> you know, it originally ended with a shot of um, Electra's dead body in the tower. So it's like that would have been a bit of a downer. I don't think they were ready for the kind of downer endings that we've had in some of the more recent ones. There we go then. Amazing. Yeah. I'm still shocked by the last line. <laughs> <laughs> still not what I expected. I've never known a Bond film to end that way. I, yeah. I, I don't think there is a filthier line in any Bond film. No, it, the the, the um, cunning linguistics of uh, Tomorrow Never Dies takes a beating. But yeah, I think they managed it. Do you think that they made her name throughout this entire film? There is a tendency to think that, yes. I think you may be right. (laughs) Welcome to the Devil's Breath. For thousands of years, Hindu pilgrims have journeyed to this holy place. To witness the wonder of the miracle of the natural flames that never die. And to test their devotion to God by holding the scalding rocks in their hands as they said their daily prayers. Tell me, Davidov, what happened this afternoon? You promised me your best man. Mr. Arkov supplied the latest weapons. Yes, uh, but Bond... Bond was unarmed. And you, Arkov, is everything ready for tomorrow? I have the authorization and the passes in the car. I have arranged for a plane tonight, but... Uh, but what? We should scrap the rest of the mission. The Parahawks were meant to be returned. People will start asking questions, even of me, all because of his incompetence. Ah. I see. I see, you're right. You're right, he should be punished. Davidov, hold this for me. <laughs> it is wrong of me to expect so much of you. Kill him. He failed his test of devotion. You can take his place. Take his ID. And do be on time. Because The World Is Not Enough is the most underrated Bond film, we needed another part to discuss all of its merits. So listen to part two of The World Is Not Enough on the big screen. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.